0: Our Lord and God, we thank you for bringing us to this place this evening and we come before you in prayer, beseeching you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to hear our prayer. Lord, as we ask that you do hard work on our spiritual lives this evening, Holy Spirit, please. Let us see, Lord, with eyes of faith and through the lens of your holy word what it means to truly be a disciple of Christ and therefore be a healthy church member as we conclude tonight this series that you by your grace have given us the the strength to to learn from and endure through i pray that you help me to decrease so that you May increase. Pray that you help me, Lord, to become less so that you become more. I pray, Lord, that your people only see you and only hear you, Father. For the glory of God and for the sake of Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, good evening. Thank you for joining us for our midweek time of worship as we conclude our series. What is a healthy church member? And while we conclude our series, We, however, can you turn this down a little bit, brother? We, however, do not conclude the the application of the vital lessons that we've learned over the past three months in this series. Brothers and sisters, healthy church members come from healthy churches. Healthy church members arise from, grow from healthy churches. As God's word is preached as an affinity for the glory of God in Jesus Christ and his gospel is pushed to the forefront of the church as the person and work of the Holy Spirit are more and more being fed from the pulpit, the members who eat and eat well undoubtedly become mature Christians and therefore healthy church members. The more that you eat from that which is being fed, that good food that's being fed each week, the more mature you become, and the healthier you are spiritually as a church member. We know that good, great spiritual food is being served each week. The question is, how well have you been eating? Good food is served each week. The question is, how well have you been eating? Food is being served. Are you eating? And are you eating well? We have learned so far that a healthy church member is an expositional listener. Just as we teach each week, paying attention to the details of scripture. So a healthy church member of this local church, right? We are to listen With ears that are paying attention to details. An expositional listener pays attention to details. Friends, ask yourself this evening. How would I grade my listening ear? How would you grade your listening ear? What grade would you give yourselves? What grade would I give myself? Because I'm not exempt, brothers and sisters, from listening. I pray that as you see me sitting in the front row... That you see that I'm intentionally sitting in the front row. I pray that when you see me pull out my laptop and begin to take notes, that you're modeling that as well or that you're following that model because I'm modeling that for you. I'm not above listening. I'm not above taking notes. Do you ever see me get up and go to the bathroom? You should say no. I'm modeling that for you. Because I'm modeling what it means to be a listener, a learner. So how well are you learning? What grade do you give yourself? What gr- Let me ask you this. What steps do you take each week to tune your ear to the word of God? What steps are you taking? Let me ask you a few questions. Are you sitting in a place where you will not be distracted? Now, it's a small building, but you can position yourself in places where you will not be distracted. Wherever I go, whenever I go to hear someone speak, people that I go with are usually probably irritated by me because I sit as close as possible. Why do I do that? So that nothing distracts me. Friends, the smallest things can be distracting. And we, by nature, are people who are easily distracted, aren't we? Yes. So what steps have you taken to have a better listening ear as the word of God goes forth each week? Maybe you've begun to take notes. Maybe you've begun to bring your physical Bibles. Because having your Bible op- out on your phone or having your, you know, your app that you bring out that has the Bible on it, you know as well as I do, can be very distracting. Because times you could be at, looking at the scriptures, all sorts of alerts or messages could pop up on your phone. And all of a sudden you are now distracted from God's word. It's that easy. In the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, what was one of the causes for the seed that was being sown to wither and die? What was the cause? Do you remember Matthew 13:22? The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word of God. But what? But the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word. Making it unfruitful. Now, brothers and sisters, I am not suggesting that if you all of a sudden begin to bring your physical Bibles and begin to take notes, you will no longer be distracted. But it is a good start. It is a good start. Begin to make conscious efforts on how you will be a better listener and ask the Holy Spirit to help you in areas where you feel that you're weak. Here's some suggestions. Here's some suggestions for your listening. Bring your Bible. Bring this. Here's another suggestion take notes. Take notes. Begin to take notes. Bring a pencil or a pen. Bring paper. Bring something that will keep you accountable to listening. When you hear a point, that, like I just gave, you write it down. This is how you tune your listening ear. Someone will say, Well, I was never good at taking notes. Here's easy. Here's an easy way to take notes. I just gave you a point. Write it down. Don't be lazy. Don't make excuses. Don't say, well, I never had a good education. I just gave you the first point. Take notes. It's not hard to do. Here's another one. Leave your phone in the car or shut it off unless you need to have it on for emergencies. Sit where you can be least distracted. Go to the bathroom before service. How about listening so that afterwards you can talk to friends and family about the sermon? Why? So that you can sharpen your ability to gain the main points of the sermon. Walk away from that sermon and say to your loved one or to your friend, what were the main points that you got out of that sermon? Man, that will help someone to really listen because you know that someone here is going to be asking, what was the main point of that sermon? Right? We've learned also that a healthy church member is a biblical theologian. If someone was to ask you, what is the main point of this Bible? What's the main point of all the 66 books here in the Bible? What would you say to them? The main point of the Bible. How biblically would you answer that question? I pray that your response would not begin with, well, to me, or, well, in my opinion, We have learned that a healthy church member who understands, is one who understands that the Bible is the self-revelation of God. The Bible is where we develop our thoughts about God. Because the Bible is where God has revealed to his people who he is. Right? What he has done. And what he is yet to accomplish in human history. Being a biblical theologian, it turns statements like, I like to think of God as... It turns those or or it disseminates those, it erases those kind of statements because the Bible has revealed to us what God is, who God is and what God is like. So therefore, we let the Bible answer what the Bible is all about, because God has revealed himself as biblical theologians. We understand God's great plan of redemption for his particular people. And his great eternal glory is found throughout the pages of scripture. We give ourselves to the unity and progression of the Bible as a whole. Not just isolated passages. From Genesis to Revelation, we see God's plan of redemption unfolding in human history. And that the culmination of all things is that great and glorious day when every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Do you? Do you see that great story unfolding as you read the scriptures? Is that what you're seeing? Brothers and sisters, there is a clear plan and purpose of God. And if you don't know that, then please talk to someone after church. Talk to one of the elders. Hopefully talk to one of the members and they can give you a better understanding of what the Bible is all about. We've learned also that... A a healthy church member is gospel-saturated. Question. How well do you know the gospel? How well do you know the gospel? Last week, we, we learned four points, right? In this gospel presentation. God, man, Christ, response. But because we around here like things with five points, we came up with our own, didn't we? The holiness of God. The sinfulness of man. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The call to repentance and also the cost of discipleship. Brothers and sisters, can you fill in the blanks to all of those five points? Can you? I hope that you can. I hope that you can do it so well. Someone may say, well, there's no right or wrong answer to that. I beg to to, to differ. I, I disagree. There are wrong answers. But there's really only one right answer in all of those points. When you know the gospel, you don't just know the gospel and keep it to yourself. You share the gospel. So, brothers and sisters, might I uh, challenge you with a challenging question? Who was the last person you shared the gospel with? And when was that? Who was the last person that you shared the gospel with? Have you been intentional in sharing the gospel? When was the last time and who was it? And think about it like this. If you're not sharing the gospel, then you're being selfish with the gospel. If you're not sharing the gospel, then you're being selfish with the gospel. If you're not sharing the gospel, then you are hoarding it from people who will spend eternity apart from Christ. Do you hear that? You're hoarding the gospel, being selfish with the gospel, with people who are spending eternity, who will spend eternity apart from Christ, unless you give what has been freely given to you know the gospel share the gospel we also learn that healthy members are genuinely converted now this may not feel good when you first hear it and it may feel uncomfortable maybe how do you know that you are genuinely converted how do you know if someone were to ask you how do you know that you're saved how do you know that you've been brought from death to life from darkness to light what would you say You may say, well, because I place my faith in Christ. Great. What does faith look like? What does it look like? You see that James was addressing this very question in James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? And and that question is supposed to, to lead you to the answer, no, it can't. The person who says, yes, I have faith but does not display the marks of true saving faith, does not have true saving faith. You can say I have faith all day long, but you don't display it, then you don't have it. Right? Can that kind of faith save him? No. That kind of faith, the faith that simply says but never does, or the faith that simply proclaims but does not show, that kind of faith can never save anyone. Now, we are not saying that you are not saved by faith alone. Of course, you're saved by faith alone, but what we are saying is that faith is never alone. True saving faith is never alone. It is always accompanied by, by work, by deeds that are produced by the spirit of God. He said in verse 15, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So faith also by itself, if it does not have works is dead. Amen. So then how do I know that I'm saved? How do I truly know? Well, here's a short checklist. Have you forsaken your righteousness for the righteousness of Christ? If you say yes, check. Have you believed that there is nothing that you can do to earn your salvation? That is all in Christ by grace of the glory of God. Yes, check. Good. Have you believed that the Father raised the Son, Jesus Christ, from the dead? That he now sits at the right hand of the Father? Yes, check you believe in the blessed trinity one and three three and one yes check have you repented of sin yes are you repenting of sin yes have you been baptized yes have you joined the local church hopefully now we could keep going there are plenty of those how do i really know though you really know that you've been brought from death to life if you can't stop talking or telling people about the fact that you've been brought from death to life because that's what the disciples did. They saw the risen Christ and they couldn't shut their mouths all the way to their death. We've learned that also a healthy church member is a biblical evangelist. A healthy church member is a biblical evangelist and a disciple maker. Here's a paraphrase from Mark Dever. Listen to closely. If someone claims to be a Christian And yet they are not sharing the gospel. And they are not making disciples. I don't know what they mean when they say they are a Christian. If someone says, I'm a Christian. And that word means so little today, doesn't it? So many people carry the moniker, the name Christ, Christian. And yet their lives look nothing like what the Bible describes as being a true Christian. And this brother says... If you are not sharing the gospel or discipling anyone, I don't even know what that means when you say you're a Christian, meaning you can't say you're a Christian if you're not sharing the gospel or at least making disciples because they go together. They're connected. Do you share the gospel? If not, then I don't know what you mean when you say I'm a Christian. Next, they're a committed member, not a hopper, a shopper, attendee or an avoider. They're committed to the local church. A committed member is visible. They're here. They are present. Always present. Whether they want to be or not, they're here. Whether they had a bad morning or not, they're here. Nothing takes precedence precedence over the Lord's Day. Nothing takes precedence if they can make it on a Wednesday. They are present when the body gathers. Amen. Amen. They show they've been grafted into the body, that they have been brought from death to life, that they are vitally connected. They don't put the church down. They uplift the members and its leaders. They are committed to the local church. They, they follow humbly, but not blindly. They trust their souls to those who have been trusted by the great shepherd to shepherd their souls. They seek discipline because they know it's good for their souls. And they, see to be, they seek to be more and more like Christ. They are praying for the local church and its members. They are constantly growing. All of this we've learned over the past three months. Now, I wonder if you could think of any other ways in which we could be healthy church members. What what would you add to that list of ten that we've gone through over the past three months? Here's a better question. I wonder what the Bible would add to those ten, if we could add more to those. Well, the Bible does have a long list, and tonight... In conclusion, I'd like to give you just 16 points. Wake up, brother. I'd like to give you just 16 points. And it could be 59, but let's just go with 16. 16 points as we close our series, What is a Healthy Church Member? See, this is why it's good to bring your Bible, because it forces you to stay awake and write and you don't get sleepy and start yawning. You could open your Bible if you want, brother. Number one out of 16. Love one another. Healthy church members love one another. John thirteen fourteen, John thirteen thirty four and thirty five, John fifteen twelve, John fifteen seventeen. There's actually maybe eight or nine more passages that we could add to that. Brothers and sisters, how did the Lord Jesus Christ say that the world would know that we are His disciples? How did, the, how did Christ say that the world would know that we are His and His disciples? How will the world know the world will know the truthfulness in Christ and all that he has claimed to be when we have love one for another? Not just any kind of love, though. Jesus said in John 13 that we are to love one another in the same way that he loved us. The love that will be that kind of love will be marked as believers and followers of Christ. Give the same kind of costly God-exalting love that Christ displayed in his own life for us. It is a love with the depth of the cross. That's how deep it goes. It is a love with the breath it reaches from heaven to earth. That's the kind of love that we are displayed to one another. A depth that has, we, we are willing to do anything. And, and the breath for anyone. That's the kind of love that we are to have for one another. We love because he first loved us. Love is a very easy thing to say. But what does it look like in the life of a disciple? How does it look practically? We will know that we love each other when we are, number two, devoted to one another. Romans twelve ten, Devoted to one another. We are committed to one another. Just as we've been joined to Christ, we have also been joined to one another. Listen, we've been joined on what basis, though? On what basis are we united to one another? Are we united to one another based upon our likes and dislikes? No. We are united to one another on the basis of faith in Christ. That's what unites us. Christ is what unites us. Therefore, my bond with you and my bond with our Chinese brothers who are meeting underground right now to worship God, that bond that we have with each other and with them, it is stronger than any bond that we have with our unregenerated blood family this bond that has been that has united us in Christ that Christ has united us this bond is deeper than our own blood bonds of unregenerated family members this bond runs deeper it's in Christ that we are united we must seek or we must see ourselves as being united by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not united on our ethnicity. You should not come to this church and say, well, there's, I see a lot of brown in here. I feel okay. You should come to the church and hear the gospel and say, yes, the gospel is being preached. They believe it. I believe it. Therefore, we are united. Don't go to a church because you see people that look like you. Now, obviously, like attracts like. But that should not be the primary attraction. The primary attraction should be Christ and the gospel. We're not, a, we're not united because of our upbringings, because we all grew up on the east side. No. You should want to be united with people who grew up on the west side and the north side and the south side. Because you believe the same gospel that they believe. Amen. We're not united because of our taste in food or music. We are united because of Christ. Christ unites us. He unites we who would otherwise be divided. That is the power of the gospel. Amen. Three, how does it look to love one another, honor one another above yourselves? Romans 12.10. Since we are united in Christ, we follow the model of Christ, who, though he was God incarnate, took on the very nature of a servant. And came to serve humanity all the way to the cross. We therefore, we take that same attitude toward one another. We honor one another above ourselves. We seek the good, we seek the good of others above our own good. Do you do that? Do you seek others' good above your own good in this local church? Four: we live in harmony with one another. What does love look like? It looks like we live in harmony with one another. Romans twelve sixteen. One, our love for one another should be displayed in the way that we seek to live peaceably with one another. Live in harmony. Brothers and sisters, our harmony flows from our union. Our love flows from our union. We are not opposed to one another. We're not against one another. We are on the same team. We have a common, like faith, a common, like purpose and mission for our lives. Now, we would be naive, wouldn't we, if we were to ignore the fact that we are going to have, at times, conflicts that rise among us. That's normal among brothers and sisters, isn't it? So how then do we handle, God willing, God please, those periodic moments of conflict? We begin by, number five, accepting one another. Romans 15, 7. Remember, brothers and sisters, what unites us is Christ and our trust in the gospel. Common faith unites us. Therefore, we must not be a people who look only to unite with those in the church, in this church, who are like us. But rather, we accept everyone in this church. And we can be tempted even in a small church like this to begin to to glean toward the older people or glean toward the younger people or glean toward those who like athletics or glean toward those who don't. Right. But brothers and sisters. That does not display the power of the gospel, then. That reveals to us our sinful nature all over again, that we start to cling to those who are like us rather than reaching out to those who are not. Let me tell you something in encouragement. The next time you go and share the gospel, share it with somebody who does not look anything like you. Go to someone who looks completely from the other side of your planet and share the gospel with them. Why? Because that will display the power of the gospel if they believe. That you have now been united with someone who looks and maybe is from somewhere completely other than your, your, your world. That would be a great thing to do. And that's how we create, or God creates, diversity in the church. By us going to people that we would not normally go share the gospel with. You want to see, other, you want to see people in here other than brown? You want to see some yellow, some Caucasian? some others, then start sharing the gospel with those kind of people. Amen. 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 Yes, Yeah. we're Baptists, we can say amen. Friends, do you tend to congregate around those who you are most like? Like attracts like, again, but it does not reveal the power of the gospel. The gospel tears down dividing walls. Number six, when conflict arises, be patient with one another. Bear with one another, Ephesians 4.2. The, the passage literally has the command to do this, listen, to put up with one another. That's the command, put up with one another. The passage literally has the command, put up with one another. Question, how are you doing there? How are you putting up with one another? Do people here tend to irritate you? Let me take a pause there, I'm going a little bit fast. Are there people who irritate you? There are those who you will have to learn to put up with, put up, bear with. And it may sound harsh at first, but what's the other option? Rather than putting up with, you do what? You divide. So what will you do if you refuse to put up with a brother? You divide and separate. We cannot say that we love God and hate our brothers. Right. Paul encourages the church of Ephesus and Christians today. Put up with one another. Put up with each other. It's not that bad. They're not that bad. Maybe they're teaching you something about yourself that needs to come out. Right? These are good things. Number seven, how do we put up with one another? Well, be kind and patient, compassionate to one another. Be kind, patient, and compassionate to one another. Ephesians 4.32. It may sound obvious, but it's worth stating. Our speech to one another should always be gentle. It should always be kind. It should always be seeking that you want to display that you truly do care for those individuals. And I pray that you're seeing that in our leadership. I pray that as you see the leadership in this church speaking to different people, that you see that we speak with gentleness, with respect, with patience. And I pray that you also are modeling that. We should never be rude. We should never be uncaring to one another. Are you kind to people? Are you kind? Are you genuinely compassionate, compassionate to one another? Are you nice? It may sound silly. It may sound simple. But that's what scripture is commanding us to do. Just be nice to one another. Is that that hard? No. Eight. Encourage one another. How can I be nice? Here's a way. Encourage one another. First Thessalonians 4.18. And Hebrews 25 says, encourage one another Daily. Daily. Ask yourself a simple question. Who was the last person in this local church? Not on Facebook, not, you know, sending out a group text. Who was the last person in this local church that you went out of your way to encourage? Whether it's an elder encouraging them about their sermon and their efforts or maybe a teacher in the children's classes. And that's a great uh, encouragement to you. Please do that. You notice that maybe they are faithfully teaching the children, or maybe it is a greeter who always has a positive attitude when you arrive. Brothers and sisters, think of ways, even right now, think of ways, think of people that you will go out of your way to encourage. People who are running the race, who have been running the race, and though they may have fallen, though they may have slipped, they're still running. You still see them, and you're encouraged by the fact that they're still running. It would mean so much to them if you wouldn't just told them that. I'm so encouraged to see you give them a call, send them a text, tell them face to face, invite them out to lunch, invite them over to dinner, give them a card, tell them after service something. We should always be thinking of intentional ways that we could intentionally do good to people here in the church. Always. If you just come so that you can eat and then go. What kind of attitude is that? Think about that. What kind of attitude is that? I just want to come, I just want to go. I just want to come, I just want to go. No, we should think of ways that we can encourage one another. Number nine, pray for one another. James five sixteen. pray for one another. Praying for one another is one of the best ways that Scripture gives to show that we really do love one another. Are you praying for one another? Here's a good tip. How many of you have a member's directory? Good. How many of you pray through your member's directory? Oh, Here's a good encouragement to you. Pull it out. Look through that page one. Maybe you pray for the first three people. Maybe you pray for the first five people. The next day you pray for the next five. And the Lord may even encourage you to send that person a text. Give that person a call. Or, or some kind of spiritual way that you could do spiritual good to those people. But pray for them. Do not, and I'm saying this with all love and, and, and care that you do do this. Do not isolate your prayers to, the, to just me. Or just the elders of this church. There are other people in this church who would covet and and love the fact that you are praying for them. And here's a good thing that you could do. You see them on Sunday. Brother, sister, I've been praying for you. How are you doing? Is there anything that I can pray for you about? Because I have been praying for you. Maybe you could help direct my prayers by giving me some things that I should be praying for you about when I do pray for you. Amen. That would be great. That, and I'm sure they would not be offended by the fact that you said you're praying for them. Why are you praying for me? I'm okay. Yeah, you know, prideful people like that. No, I'm okay. Everything's good. No, you shouldn't act that way. You tell me you're praying for me. I I appreciate that. And I will tell you, could you add this to your prayer list for me? Because I need that. I need all the prayer that I can get. Amen? How often do you intentionally pray for these people in the church? When you go up and talk to them, here's another way that you can do good to someone or encourage someone. Number ten, instruct one another. Teach one another. Romans 15, Colossians 3.16. Wait a minute. What am I supposed to teach? What do I know? Isn't there a certain level that you must attain before you can begin to turn and teach another believer? No. As soon as you, by the grace of God, come to place your faith in Christ, you should immediately... Turn and tell someone else how they choose to trust in Christ and that the grace of God has saved you and that if they believe in Christ, it can also save them. He can also save them. What if they're already a believer? Well, begin having conversations with them that are centered around the Bible and whatever else that person is reading for their own spiritual growth. Listen, right now, while I'm teaching, this is not the time for you to teach one another. Also, this is not the time for you to teach yourselves. If you come in here and as I'm teaching, you bring out another book and you're reading that while I'm teaching, that doesn't make any sense, right? Because right now is my time to teach you. When this is over, then you begin to teach one another. That would be a great thing for you guys to do. Now, what should you teach when you teach? Open the Bible. Begin anywhere. Begin anywhere. And here's another thing we should not do. We should not begin to choral or corral, corral members and say, this is mine. And then, and then begin to develop some kind of jealousy if we see them talking to somebody else or begin to hoard around them. What are you guys talking about? This is my disciple. Get out of here with that. You should be excited at the fact that there are many people pouring into different people's lives in this church. Never go to one person. I am worried about people who only talk to one person. I'm worried about people who only talk to one person. You should be talking to everybody. You should be getting all of the spiritual input that you can. If you only talk to one person and you only receive from one person, it says a lot about your teachability and your arrogance. That you're not humble and that you can only learn from one person. And then you begin to develop a wrong dependence on that one person. You hearing me? You should be hearing hearing from everybody who is teaching the gospel, right? Now, it's okay to check with a few guys and say, this is what I'm kind of hearing. What do you think about that? That's always a good thing. But if you isolate yourself to one person or if one person who you are teaching, you begin to protect that disciple as if that's your only person or that's your possession, that's a wrong way to carry carry out your teaching amongst people. Does that make sense? Praise God. Number 11, admonish one another. I'm honest. You guys know what that word means? Correct. As you teach, you will inevitably have to correct. That's Colossians 3.16. As you teach, you will inevitably have to correct. And we must be just as bold to correct as we are to teach. Let me say that again. We must be just as bold to correct as we are to teach. And those who are being taught, you must be just as acceptable or accepting of correction as you are being taught. And in a sense, being taught is a way of being corrected. But sometimes we have wrong thoughts. Sometimes we have wrong ideas. And we must appreciate when someone comes along and says, actually, that's not right. Let me help you in this particular area. Don't get mad. Be accepting. Be thankful of the fact that they didn't let you carry on down a road that was wrong. Amen. When we correct, we must do so with directness but also with true, genuine care for those who are being corrected. What kind of person can be corrected? Someone who's teachable, someone who's humble. us is the next point, verse uh, 12. Be humble. Be humble toward one another. First Peter 5, 5. We must be humble. Be lowly, following the example set by Christ, and also counting ourselves as the least among the brethren. Brothers and sisters, Do you carry yourselves in ways that display that you're meek, that you're approachable, that you truly care, that you are not above anyone, but you are the servant of everyone? And know that many of us will fail in all of these things that we've just explained. We're going to fail. All the things you're going to say, didn't you hear pastor say? You're not acting like he said. You're acting the opposite, right? You know how we are. We're all going to fail. Look at me when I say this. I am going to fail. I'm going to do something that you're going to say, that doesn't seem right. Please, brothers and sisters. I, I, here's another one another that I didn't add in here. Let us not be quick to judge one another. Now, I didn't say don't judge. Let us not be quick to judge one another. That there's a, a a difference in judging, which we should do, or Being quick to judge, quick to assume. Oh, assumption is a very dangerous thing to do, is it not? So, with that said, number 13, do not slander one another. James 4.11. We must be people that encourage and pray. Never slander or gossip. We must be people that encourage and pray. Never slander or gossip. Brothers and sisters, how you doing there? How are you doing in the area of gossip or slander? Do you find yourselves gossiping with other believers? Do you find yourselves gossiping about other believers? Here's a better com- or question: What is the content of your conversations? Because isn't it easier to keep conversations going when you find yourselves talking about people? It just—it just sometimes feels good, right? You, you just—it's juicy, as Pastor John used to say. It's juicy. It's Delectable, you know, you kinda of, you're finally getting a lot of stuff that you've been wanting to say out. And you know what? Let me add something to right. Yeah, that's why some of you are laughing, because you love it. All you gossipers in here. Humble people don't gossip. Humble people don't gossip. <coughs> why? <coughs> because they understand that they too have clay of feet, or feet of clay. They understand the great grace that has been given to them. And may the Lord, let me say this, help us all in that area. That we have feet of clay. We've been given much grace. And who are we to down talk or slander anyone? Right? 14. And when someone fails, and we will, forgive one another. Ephesians 4.32 When we fail, remember I said when, not if, when we fail, forgive one another. This was when I was a young 20-year-old, maybe 21. I was working with a man that I, for some reason, uh, offended in some kind of way. I found out that I had offended him, so I went to him and I apologized. When I began to apologize, or actually when I did apologize, he continued to tell me how wrong I was. So I apologized again. And he proceeded to once again tell me how wrong I was. So I apologized again. Remember, I was 21. I'm 37 now. So I began to apologize to him again. And he began to proceed about telling me how wrong I was until I finally stopped him and said, So I've now apologized to you more than three times. You obviously do not want to accept my apology. So rather than apologize to you again, we can go across the street and we can fight. Because it seems like that's what you want more than my apology stuck out his hand and he accepted my apology. That's when I was younger. Um, I would not suggest you do that. And I'm not saying that that's a model that you need to fight, or that you need to follow. What I am suggesting is this. When someone comes to you and sincerely apologizes, it takes a lot of humility to do that. It takes a lot of accepting and owning their faults and their wrongs. Do not keep your foot on their throat. Let them up. Help them up. Dust them off. It's okay. We all mess up. We all fail. Let's move on. 15. You didn't think I was going to be able to do all this and by the time it got 8 o'clock, did you? Confess your sins to one another, James 5, 16. That means that when you fail or someone fails you, you also can be honest and say, I too have failed. These are the areas in my life that I've messed up in. These are the blind spots in my life. And, brother, your sin is helping me to see my own blind spots. That's great humility. It takes a lot to be able to say to someone, you know what, I've failed as well. I too have messed up. And it is a good thing when someone is coming to you with, with things that are hard for them. And you share with them the things that are also hard for you. It makes them feel, it helps them to feel like they're human. And that you're not some, some angel who flies around, but that you are human as well. We are all people who are in need of the grace of God. And in doing so, we lastly... Carry one another's burdens. 16, carry each other's burdens. <clears throat> Galatians six two. it is so important that we, when someone is experiencing hardships, toil, and trouble in their lives, that we let them know that we are here for them. And sometimes their sins and their failures are because of some of the difficult things that they're experiencing in their lives. And what they, meet, and what they need more than anything is for someone to come alongside and say, I'll walk through that with you. It's dark. It's scary. It's messy. But I love you enough to walk through that with you. And brothers and sisters, we never forget those who walked through the darknesses with us. There are those right now that maybe you have not seen in this church for a while. They will say that no one was there for me. And maybe they are right. I would challenge you to go through your members directory. Look through those who you have not seen in a few weeks. Maybe even longer. Just send them a text. How are you? Have not seen you. Been praying for you. Or the Lord just brought you to my memory. You doing okay? Anything I can pray with you about. Just want to let you know that I love you. That we're here for you. That would be encouraging. These are ways. And there are... Uh, What, 29 more, 39 more that we did not deal with? But I pray that you get the gist of what it means to truly love one another. And I pray that the Lord will help you to go out of your way and do spiritual good to one another. Let's pray. Our Lord and God, we do thank you for your grace and for your mercy. Thank you for the strength that you have given us all, Lord, to endure and to walk through these sermons. We pray that you would help us to grow. Help us, Father, to apply. And let it all be for your glory, Christ, name we pray, amen.